faces today. That is awesome. Take a second and look at your neighbor. Don't get, too, don't get within two chairs. But look at your neighbor, wave at them, and be like, you have a beard now. Or your beard looks grayer than last I saw you. It is good to see you guys. Good to be in the house of the Lord today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7 today. Mark chapter 7. And I'm going to read just one verse up front that, I, that is the theme verse because we're going to cover a number of verses today. So this is kind of the, what we're going to hone in on today. Mark chapter 7 verse 15. This is Jesus' words to us. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. This is God's word. Now, a few years ago, I read a book called The Heart of Darkness. And doesn't that sound fun? Uh, it was, it, I thought it was going to be almost like an Indiana Jones-style adventure because it's about a guy who, uh, turn of the 20th century, goes into the Congo to look for this, this mysterious figure that had been lost named Kurtz. Kurtz was supposed to be this exceptional man, this genius, this talented person. And, and so the, the main character is making his way through the jungle and down rivers, and he's attacked by native people, and there's all these accidents and strange occurrences. And, and you begin to wonder, like, oh, no. Kurtz, like we, this, this great man, what's happened to him? What is the jungle, uh, what, what bad things is the jungle bringing on this poor soul? So finally, he gets all the way down, you know, into the jungle and finds Kurtz and discovers that rather than all the bad things in the jungle happening to Kurtz, Kurtz is actually the source of all the evil in the rest of the book. He's the guy that's ordering the, the native people around, has them convinced he's a god. He's the people scamming other people. He's, the, you know, he's manipulating the whole area. He's like the villain of the book when you think he's the rescue mission. And, and in, in a similar way, I, I remember thinking like, well, that's weird. I thought, I thought he was the good guy, and he ended up being the bad guy. I thought the problem was outside of him. The problem is him. He's the problem. And this gets at one of the most fundamental human questions that we deal with, which is, where is our real problem as humanity? Where is our real problem as people? Is our problem really outside of us somewhere? Or is our problem perhaps something more terrifying? Our problem could be ourselves. And so uh, I promise this is going to have a positive uptick at the, at the end of the sermon, but we're going to slog through some like, man, that's, that's tough to see. This passage is somewhat of a mirror for us, and when we look in the mirror, we don't see quite what we hope to see when we start out. So the main idea today is the heart of the problem is our heart. The heart of the problem is our heart. Section one, blind to the problem. Now, we're going to uh, see three ways that the, the Pharisees in this section are blind to the real problem, and they, they believe the problem is outside of them when the problem is inside of them. So first way that they're blinded is being blinded by self-righteousness. Look at verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, side note, it doesn't mean, this is not like a hygiene thing. It's not like, okay, we're in a pandemic. You probably should be washing your hands. You know, we had those videos going around. This is how you do it. You got to do it like this. And, you know, and you're like, my hand's a pretzel now. Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? This is not a hygiene thing. This is a ritual thing. They'd wash themselves and, and the water would flow one way and then the water would flow another way. They'd be ritually cleansed. 
For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. Or when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And that word actually could mean bathe. Like you go to Walmart, before you can sit down for dinner, you've got to take a bath and then come back to dinner. There are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches, right? They, they had regulations even for washing the cups, right? You're, you're, the dishes going to the dishwasher. No, you didn't do it right. You did counterclockwise. It's clockwise and then in and then out, right? This is, this is where they are. Verse 5, and the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, Here's the problem we see with the Pharisees up front. They are standing in front of Jesus, right? Jesus has literally been walking around healing people. He's been calming storms. He's been restoring people back from the dead. He's been feeding the hungry, right? He is the, the only sinless human being that's ever lived, the only righteous person who's ever, fully righteous person that's ever lived. And the Pharisees come to him and say, listen, Jesus, you, you, you know, you're not like us. I mean, we're... we're pure over here, and you guys are just a mess. I mean, I'm, and you just think, in the context of the Gospels, you're meant to think, this is insane. Who marches up to Jesus and says, you got a little something here? I mean, just, I, I can help you out. I got it, right? H how do you get there? Well, here's the thing. The first thing that will blind us to seeing our real problem is our own self-righteousness. It is impossible to ever see what the real problem is if we always assume that we are not the problem. Right? Isn't that our default in any conflict? Who do we assume is right in the conflict? I've never gotten into a conflict with my wife where the two of us are fighting and I'm assuming, you know, I bet you're right here, but I, you know, that doesn't happen. We assume in any conflict we are the right ones. We assume, and, and what happens is we come to the Bible, we come to God, and we assume, no, 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 this, this is the way it's supposed to be, right? I remember I was talking to a young believer once where they were trying to figure out what the Bible's teaching was on sexuality and on relationships, and, and it, it wasn't going well in terms of, of mapping this onto their life. And they said, well, that, that, that can't be right because I don't agree with that. And I was like, wait, what, wait, run that back to me. It can't be right because why? Because I don't agree with it. We're like, well, but that's what it says. Yeah, but it can't be that because I don't, you know, and you just end up in this loop, right? If we come to the Lord, if we come to the Bible, if we come assuming we're the right ones, something's got, this has got to be mistranslated or something. I don't like this. That's what happens. We're blinded to the real problem by our self-righteousness at times. Second, we can be blinded by human religion. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, which is kind of a great opening, as it is written... This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God to hold to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Now, remember, the Pharisees would have been the good guys in everyone's eyes in the first century Jewish context, right? These are the guys that, that you know, always, the holy people, they'd always pray before the meal. They always kept every part of the law. They would keep every little punctilious detail. They would pray. They would fast. They, they were the, super, the spiritual superheroes. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 the, you're wrong. But they were so sure they were right because they had so many rules and they kept so many rules that it began to, to make them feel like, well, I must be right. Look at all the rules that I'm keeping. But in the process, here's what happens. 
in, in adding all of these traditions on top of the law, in adding these traditions again and again and again for generation after generation on top of the law, they obscure the law themselves. And what Jesus is pointing out is they, they may be using religious Old Testament language, but their religion is not the religion of the Old Testament. It is, their, their, in other words, their traditions have supplanted and overtaken and moved out of the way the law of God, especially the heart of the law. And this is what human religion often does. Human religion always targets the external because it's the only thing it can target. And, and moving from the heart of the law, these, these core commandments of loving God, loving your neighbor, all of these things get piled on, and all of a sudden the focus becomes, well, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? Not, did you love your neighbor? Do you love the Lord? And this is what's happened here. Now, here's the thing. We can be guilty of the exact same thing. Look, I, I grew up in church. I would describe myself growing up in church as a tiny Pharisee. I heard songs about the gospel. I heard songs about the grace of God. I, I heard all those things. But when I came to church and I had done good obeying that week, I felt like, yeah, I deserve to be here. I know some of you don't, right? Some of the people in my kids' ministry class need the Lord, but I don't because I did all of the things this week, right? And sometimes we even still come in like that. We, we come in confessing, you know, the Christian creeds and praying and all this stuff. But deep down, our religion is not the religion of the Bible. It's, it's our own religion of I did this and this and this and this. Therefore, God will be nice to me. God will owe me. God will give me. God won't be angry at me. There, you know, that's, that, that's, we do exactly what the Pharisees do. Now, the other thing, though, is that many people in our day and age don't consider themselves religious, Right? There's fewer and fewer people. The, the fastest growing religious group in America is those who claim no religion at all. That's the fastest growing group. And for them, they might think, well, hey, psh, yeah, preach that, guy. All these hypocrites, these Christians out there, they sh yeah, they are hypocrites. They're the worst. Well, here's the thing, friend. You have a religion too. Webster defines religion as a cause, a principle, a system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. Right? For, for some, and I'm going to use kind of an extreme here, maybe for their religion might be being a good secular humanist who does good to fellow man, who always recycles, who marches for justice, who celebrates diversity in the right ways, and then looks down on everybody else who's not as elevated and high up as they are. Like, oh, you, you person, you know, where were you at the march? You didn't even recycle this. You're like, right? And, and, and you think like, okay, that's, you seem pretty intense about that. You seem like you're holding to that cause, principle, or system of beliefs with ardor and or faith. <laughs> right? I mean, he was going to talk to a guy who's from a gang at one point, and he was saying, yeah, gangs, gangs are a religion. They, they have these values of loyalty and brotherhood and honor and respect for the right people in the right ways. And actually, when you're in the game, you look down on everybody else not in the gang. Because like, you don't get it. You, you, you know? bunch of these disrespectful guys that don't understand life, right? We all do this. The problem is all of our religion, whether it's religious or irreligious, aims at fixing problems on the outside of us, making more rules, requiring more things, leading us to either feel superior to others when we succeed or crushed and dejected when we fail, but it never reaches inside. Third thing that blinds us is bl being blind by calling bad good, by, by mixing up and, and uh, excusing hip hypocrisy. Verse 10, Moses said, honor your mother, your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corbin that is given to God, 
then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So Jesus wants to help them see that they are hypocritical by using this one specific example. And so this may be a little obscure, but but translating it into modern language a little bit, here's what was happening. So say you have some aging parents, and your aging parents, you know, say your, your, your father, his back is given out, and he's really struggling, but you have the best easy chair in the world. And his father, you know, your father comes over, and he's just like, oh, this chair. When I sit in it, my back finally feels better for a few minutes, son. And your wife is saying, you should give him the chair. Give him the, you know, offer your dad the chair. And you say, oh, dad, I would, I would give you this chair. Oh, Really? but it's, it's actually, I dedicated it to the Lord. Um, I have to keep it now. And that's something that they would do, right? If you dedicated the Lord, you had to keep possession of the item because it was dedicated as unto the Lord. And so you're like, sorry, dad, uh, but, but uh, praying for your back and you'd sit in the chair and click on the TV, right? That's, that's essentially what was happening. And the Pharisees were like, well, it, it is dedicated unto the Lord. And they were using these sort of loopholes. Listen, man, any religious system, the human heart will always be able to find loopholes if it is inclined to find them, right? So the Pharisees, these rule, these lawyers knew the law better than anyone, and they would find these loopholes. They're like, oh, I can do this, or I can do that. I can excuse this. I can excuse that, right? You see much of this in the New Testament. And Jesus is pointing out by doing that, by keeping the externals, they're breaking one of the Ten Commandments, which is just honor your father and mother, right? It's, I mean, and, and that is a heart thing. That's a posture thing. And they're completely violating it by their sort of religious lawyering around it. And this is exactly what blinds us as well. We, we can get so convoluted in our religious systems that we end up calling bad good and good bad. And let me give you one example. So I was talking to my wife a few months ago, and one of my family members needed help with something practical, like moving something around. I don't remember what it was, but they needed help with something practical on a Saturday. And I just remember beginning to argue to Jen, well, you know, I, I mean, I'd love to go help, but I, you know, I just feel like I want to spend some time with the boys, you know? I just, you know, that time is very important. And, you know, it is my day off, and I want to be restful. I want to respect the Sabbath. I want to not do, you know, too much work on the Sabbath. I want, and, and I'm explaining these things to Jen, and she's just nodding at me like, uh-huh. uh-huh. So I finish my argument, and I'm kind of like looking at her to give me approval to like, yeah, it's fine. And she looked at me, and she just said, uh-huh, and then just kind of looked away. And I thought, I guess I'm going to help my family member, right? Because, because... Because I'd gotten so complicated, here's, I was using all of these things to justify, but, but the law of God itself, the, the heart of the law of God has this way of just exposing us and saying, no, but, 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 but when we're so blinded by our obfuscation, we don't see what's really going on. So what do we see here? Okay, the Pharisees are, are us. They are very much more like us than we want to admit. And they were so concerned with all of this external good that they neglected the heart. Let me give you one illustration of this. So Paul Tripp uses the illustration of fruit stapling. He says, many people's lives are like trees that are sick and rotten and produce no food, no fruit, no leaves. But what we do with external religion is we go up and we staple fruit we bought from the grocery store onto the leaves, you know? Imagine somebody in their backyard, they've got a you know, bucket of apples, and they're stapling them on the leaves, and then standing back and saying, looks pretty, pretty good, you know? Looks pretty good, I think, right? Definitely better than my neighbor's tree, for sure, you know? And, and that's what we do with human religion. That's what the Pharisees are doing. That's what we are doing, where Jesus is saying, listen, put that aside. What's going on down here? Point number two, seeing the problem. The real problem, Jesus points out, is not outside of us, but inside of us. 
Verse 14, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he'd entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Even the disciples weren't getting it. Even the disciples were like, I thought the Pharisees were good guys, and now you're like calling them hypocrite. I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on. He explains to them. Are you also without understanding? Don't you see that whatever goes into a person from outside can't defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is just expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said to him, what comes out of a person? What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Now, this would have been radical and countercultural in Jesus' day, perhaps even more radical and countercultural in our day. We are used to seeing the world entirely as if what is wrong in our lives is somebody else's fault, is external to us. It must be my boss's fault that I'm not a happy worker. It must be society's fault that I'm not at peace. It must be my spouse's fault if I have an affair. They, they push me to it, right? Jesus gives this long list of sins that we look at and we're like, yeah, man, that is terrible. But Jesus points out those things aren't things that enter into our lives from the outside. It's not the fault of society or our work environment or our parents or our family or our friends. These things happen because they flow from inside of us. Now, certainly these things external to us can wound us. We can suffer. We can be influenced to sin in particular directions. But Jesus is pointing out at the very bottom, the, the, the most fundamental level, our problem is not outside of us. It is inside of us. That's why these Pharisees, these pristine, sparkling, religious figures that everybody had on a pedestal, that's why he, Jesus could look at them and see all the way down into their heart and see, look, it's rotten too. This is a problem too. Look, one of, the, one of the other things that's so common these days in our culture is that we look to the heart as the problem to the solution, like as the solution to the problem, right? How often do we hear, like, follow your heart? You know, well, what's going on in your life? My life's not going well. You know what you need to do? You just need to follow your heart, you know? What, I, what's going, I, I just have this, you know, these relational problems. I don't know if I should be dating this person or not. Well, you know what? Just follow your heart. And Jesus is out there going, no, do not do that. <laughs> do not follow your heart, right? In, in, in that sinful respect that he's talking about here, the, these things are coming out of you. What, the, the source of the problem can't be the solution, right? This is what Jesus is telling us. In fact, he, uh, let me give you one quote here because I think it's too good. So Lord David Cecil reflecting on the Holocaust. He was a Brit, and he was reflecting on the Holocaust and how it happened, how Europe, for all of his technology and advancement and humanism and all this stuff, he says this, the jargon of the philosophy of progress taught us to think that the savage and primitive state of man is behind us, but barbarism is not behind us. It is within us, meaning the problem with the Nazis wasn't some weird environmental thing. The problem with Nazis is the same thing was in our hearts all, all of our hearts to begin with. Now, that leads to two problems fundamentally. We, it means that vertically, 
our sin defiling us cuts us off from God. It pushes us away from God. God can have no sin or defilement in his presence. Actually, that's why the Pharisees were doing all of this ritual stuff is because they wanted to be close to God because sin, defilement, keeps you away from God, keeps you out of the presence of God. And so they, they thought by washing externally again and again, by keeping every external part of the law, they could make it a little bit closer into the presence of God, that God would be happy with them, give them what they want, not condemn them or bring his justice on them. They wanted that. But the problem Jesus is pointing out is there's nobody that can do that. There's nobody that can be externally clean enough in themselves to make it into the presence of God. That's their first problem. The second problem is just the, 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 the problem that we all deal with. It. It keeps, this stuff keeps coming out of our hearts horizontally. It keeps affecting the people around us. It keeps, we have these patterns of sin in our lives that we just can't seem to kill. So what's the solution? Well, the text ended, and so that's, that's all I got. So you guys come back next week. No, I'm not going to do that to you. That's how the text ends. And at first, it feels like, what's going on there? But point number three, solving the problem. What is the resolution to this problem that Jesus points out? I mean, it's actually terrifying because we look in the mirror and we see, ah, that's not good. I don't like that. What do we do here? What is the solution? Well, as in so much of the Gospels, the solution is standing right in front of us. One of the reasons I think the solution is unstated here is because it is stated throughout the rest of the Gospel of Mark. This problem is what Jesus is aiming his ministry at. If the heart of the problem is our heart, Jesus is aiming his ministry at our heart to fix what truly ails us. Only he can truly see it. Only he is truly going after it. And in Jesus' ministry, I'm going to show briefly that he goes after both the vertical dimension and the horizontal dimension of our defilement. First, he goes after this vertical dimension. He solves our defilement with salvation. Okay, so I want you to do something this week. Look at Zechariah 3 this week because Zechariah 3 has this, this crazy picture where God sees the high priest of the people of God, Joshua is the priest's name, sees the high priest whose garments are supposed to be sparkling white, who is about to approach into the Holy of Holies, and he's ritually washed himself. He's cut himself off from everybody else in the, in the community. He's washed himself. It's a multi-day preparation process to stand before the Lord. And, and with God's eyes, we look at Joshua, and his, his garments are not white. They're covered, it says, in filth. Now, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. The word filth literally means excrement. It means the worst stuff imaginable. So what will Jesus do? What can Jesus do? Well, it's pictured here in Zechariah 3. The angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with pure vestments. The Lord sees our problem but he doesn't leave us there. He goes to us and said, remove this and clothe him with something pure. So how does that happen? How can that happen? Verse eight, hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant, the branch, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. What he's saying is, this Zechariah gets his new robe from somewhere, from the branch. And, and, and if you understand a little bit about the, the names here, yeah, that word Joshua is from the name Yeshua, which is also the root of the name Jesus. 
So you have, in a sense, picked your two Joshuas, two Yeshuas, one who is supposed to be clean outwardly but is clothed in filth and excrement, and one, Jesus, who stands completely pure, completely white, completely righteous. And in a sense, what happens is Jesus takes the filthy Joshua's robe and gives that filthy Joshua his robe. Jesus takes that filthy garment, goes to the cross, and bears the justice of God. God directed at our defilement so that the other Joshua, the formerly filthy Joshua, can enter in to the Holy of Holies and the presence of God. This is what Jesus means to do in his ministry. He does not say, hey, more religion, more rules, more stuff. You got to obey enough to scrub your garments clean Then we'll see maybe someday you'll enter into the presence of God. He says, no. Abandon your garment altogether. Get a better one from me that I purchased with my own blood. Wear it yourself and enter into the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Look, friend, if you are here today, and maybe your problem is almost the opposite of what I've been preaching to, maybe your problem is not that you don't see the defilement on you or see the sin or see the guilt. Maybe you feel the guilt every day, and maybe you're here in church or doing Christian stuff because you hope that maybe someday, one day, you'd finally feel like God loves you. You finally feel like you're close to God. You finally feel like you've got the stains rubbed out of your garments enough to get close to him. That is not the way Jesus offers a better way to you. And he offers it freely to you. He holds out his hand and says, give me your garment. Stop trying to wipe this thing clean. I have a better one for you. And Christians, when we wear the garment of Christ, what what we experience is what's proclaimed by the church in Revelation 19 at the end of history, when the church gathers and confesses together, let us rejoice and be glad, fine linen, bright and clean is given to us to wear. At the end of history, when we stand before God, the church will not be arrayed in filthy rags, but in the righteousness, the gleaming righteousness of Christ. And rather than experiencing alienation or exile, he will be brought in close to the heart of the Father and rejoiced over for all eternity. That is the insane trade the gospel of Jesus Christ offers the sinner. So if you don't believe that, if you, if you haven't arrested, uh, if you haven't taken your garment off and received this garment of righteousness for Jesus, do it today. Confess your sin. Say, I can't do this, and receive it with joy. Second, that Jesus not only solves the vertical dimension of our defilement, he also solves what's going on inside of us. See, in Ezekiel, there's this picture that, that the people of God have a heart of stone. And because they have this heart of stone, everything coming out of their heart is stone, in a sense. But the Spirit of God has promised to go reach into that heart of stone, remove it, and give the people of God a heart of flesh. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus, when in restoring our relationship God with God, makes possible for the Spirit to come into our hearts and renovate and change our hearts so that the, 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 the source of our defilement begins more and more to look like the heart of God, not the heart of sin, not the heart of, of, of evil. 
And Ephesians 4, we're then called to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, so as Christians, here's what we're trying to do. We are not trying to staple better looking fruit on our lives. We as Christians need to aim our ministry where Jesus aims his ministry, which is at our hearts. Rather than just saying like, oh, I'm, I'm angry, you know? Have you ever said like, oh, you're making me so angry. This situation is making me so angry, right? That's just, and try to be less angry. Try to remove the anger-inducing things from your life. No, don't, don't do that. I mean, you should maybe practically do some of that. But look at your heart and ask, why are you angry in the first place? <laughs> Where are you saying, I am going to be God and I'm going to rule this situation? Maybe you got to step down off the throne and allow God to be God, right? Begin to allow the Lord to change your heart on the deepest, most fundamental level by applying the truth of the gospel to the situations you encounter in your life. Right? That, that is, that, that's the only way to truly change, not by cleaning ourselves from the outside, but, but leaning into the work of the Spirit to cleanse us and change us from the inside out. So in conclusion, that the heart of the problem is our heart, but the text does not just leave us there. The text reminds us that Jesus is aiming his ministry at the heart of our problem, which is our hearts. And the good news for us, friends, is that Jesus turns no filthy sinner away. Briefly, look, Mark 6, 56, and we'll end with this. Right before this passage, I think there's an instructive couple verses. It says, Whenever, wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. All these people would have been unclean, sores, open wounds, all this stuff. They, they, Jesus should have backed off from them. Do you know what happened instead? And as many as touched his garment were made well. What Jesus calls us to do in the end here is to reach out and grab his garment, it's to be willing to look at ourselves. To, if, if we truly look at the law of God, we will see, man, there's a lot of hypocrisy in there, a lot of self-righteousness, a lot of ugly stuff. But we don't run and fix that with self-righteousness. We run and fix that with Jesus' righteousness and his renewing work. Amen. Well, let's stand and let's ask for God's help. Lord, I pray for us today, God. I pray that, that you would do a work of renovation in our hearts. God, if we are, we are Christians, if there is an area in our life that we feel stuck in, that we've been looking all around us and blaming other things or other people for and wondering like, ah, why, why, why is this thing making me do this? Lord, I pray that we'd be honest enough with ourselves to see ourselves as we truly are, to see what's going on in our hearts. And I pray that we would bring that area to you right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray that we would bring that right now, that area, and say, Lord, I can't change this, but you can. Please help me. Please help me see how I need to change. Please see, help me see how to change. Please give me the power to change. Help us with that in Jesus' name, God. And I also pray for those that may not know you. I pray for those who've found themselves maybe in a religious system without the heart of Christ in it. I pray that they would abandon it and instead cling to the garment of Jesus today. In your name we pray. Amen. While we sing uh, together to close, the Holy Spirit has spoken to us through his word. He's impressed truth on our hearts. And now we want to respond as we sing.